you guys ready? Yes. So legislative committee meeting of February 11th, 11 a.m. Council members Cox and Riley are present along with uh, me, Mary Wagner, your city attorney, uh, Lily, community development director, and Kevin McGowan, the um, director of public works. Thank you. So you should have your agenda packets. And there's um, basically three issue, three items on your agenda, an ordinance amending the municipal code regarding purchasing policies, the ordinance about undergrounding, sorry, Lily, and then some housing related items. Do you want to just take them in the order that they're listed yes. here? Okay. Is that okay with you, Joan? Yes. So the first item is the changes to the purchasing policy that we discussed at your last meeting back in November. And as you know, we're um, part of CUPCA. We adopted the CUPCA regulations with respect to public works projects that establish the limits for force work or negotiated contract of 60,000 or less, the informal bids between 60 and 200, and then 200 or more goes through a formal bidding procedure. We had a weird irregularity, I think, in our provisions where we adopted those um, amounts and they automatically increased mm -hmm. when the state increased them. But we had the city manager's authority limited to 50,000 instead of tied to the um, negotiated purchase $60,000 amount that increases pursuant to the public works uh, statute or public contracting code statute. So we wanted to clean that up. And then as part of that discussion, we also talked to you in November about the fact that our um, limits are a little low for other types of projects, for other types of contracting other than public works. Uh, right now, the city manager's authority is 25,000. Anything above that has to come to council for approval. And the department head limit is 5,000. So we talked to you about increasing those. And I think it was you, um, Councilmember Riley, who suggested, well, why don't we tear off of a percentage of the statutory amounts that increase for public works contracts. So what we brought back to you is that, what, what that would look like and what those amounts would be currently. So what you have uh, in your packet is the staff report that describes the proposed changes which it, since we're cleaning things up, we thought we would clean up the amounts for public works contracts to reflect the current limits. There is a provision in your code that automatically has them increase uh, when they are increased uh, by the state. So again, currently now there's 60, 200, and then uh, above 200 has to be formally bid. There is a provision in the code that says formally bids can, form, informal bids can be awarded upon a determination that the cost estimate was reasonable up to amount of 212, 500. Um, it's a percentage of the 200, so if you get a bid, if you think you're going to be under 200 and it comes in at 210, you don't have to stop and then go through the formal procedure, but you could still let that contract. So that was built in as well. Um, so I think we, there's a typo here. Where's that? On page five, mm -hmm. it says um, staff in the middle, you have the, the number 65,000, but I think the force account limit is 60. 60 sorry about that. Thank you. I had it right up above. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, the other thing we're asking you to consider and give us some direction on uh, is allowing department heads to enter into contracts that fall within the force account negotiated agreement limit, that currently 60000 or less, um, not requiring the city manager to do that. I think this was something that Kevin thought would be helpful and facilitate moving projects forward. And then allowing the city manager to enter into contracts that would currently come to the city council that are that informal bid limit. Um, between the, that should be 60 and 200. Sorry about that. Also, another typo. Um, but that's just a suggestion. That isn't built into your current draft ordinance. We know that there's probably some differing opinions about whether that would be helpful or not. We would then report back to you what those amounts were. So let me stop there and let you uh, jump in. I think something I had recommended at our last meeting, or maybe not, 
was that if we do increase this limit, there should be a manner for this to be reported to the city council through consent. So that really is the backstop. So it's granting this authority so that the department heads and the city manager can perform their jobs more efficiently, but still have the check and balance of having a monthly or a quarterly or whatever report to the city council on consent, identifying those contracts that were entered into in that manner without coming to the city council. Yes, I agree with that approach. And I do think it's important that we continually strive for efficiencies, right? And so as long as we have efficiencies and with visibility, and checks and balances, I think mm -hmm. that's good. So that maintains transparency. We lose some transparency by increasing the limits without coming to the city council. Mm -hmm. We cure that by having a, a periodic report to the city council. Yes. That sounds fine. So I From think the, the public works side of it is pretty straightforward. You know, we're part of TEPCA already. Mm -hmm. And then the question to you is whether you want to kind of divide up who um, can enter into certain contracts or not. So that's one question. And then we need to talk about the non-public works contracts. Yeah, I agree with the recommendation for the city manager. But I agree to that in part because of the experience and track record of our city manager. I would want to revisit that when and if we hire a new city manager. Okay. So for the in the between the up to 200 up to 200 the city right. manager can with the reporting back to the right. council. Okay. And then I think the department head issue is somewhat of a non issue for you guys. It's more of a question for the city manager and right. the department heads to work out on who has what contract authority, but why don't we have that conversation with the city manager and then report back yeah, to you guys my, on my what that looks like. That is, it doesn't help efficiency that much because the city manager is here all the time. Right. right. Probably having you know weekly, daily meetings. So it's city council that you have to get stuff on an agenda every two weeks or a month was where the inefficiency is at, which we addressed. But I, I do like the city manager having eyes on all expenses. I mean, it's fine with me. Um, 60000 is a fairly small amount for a negotiated contract. And whether that gets reported to the city manager or whether that gets reported to the city council, I would leave to the city manager. But ultimately, all the contracts are going to get reported to the city council in a periodic report. Okay. Great. So then if you flip over, we've got the non-public works projects and what the current limits are. We talked about that briefly. And then what we built in, which is just tying it to the public contract code amounts that automatically increase and I will tell you this is somewhat novel like we had we weren't able to find any other jurisdictions that are currently doing it but I think it's a good idea because then you're not coming back to amend your ordinance every time and have a big discussion about purchasing yes. limits so what it would increase um, to for department purchases it, it would be 60,000 instead of excuse me five six thousand six thousand instead of five thousand for um, 10 to 50% of negotiated purchases, uh, this would be the city manager's con uh, contract authority, would be between six and 30. And then anything of over 30 with a formal bid process would have to come to the city council. And then that would increase um, whenever the CUPCA amounts go up. And I think we also talked about a reporting to you when that happens, so you know what those dollar amounts are. I like this. I mean, I think it's just, it'll always be current. We're not always, we're falling behind when things change. Uh, it's a nice, simple formula. And it's just, puts even a little more autonomy in decision making. We go from five to six and it's a little higher, so. The thing I like about this is the requirement to solicit from three bidders. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important component. 
so that you avoid just having someone pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. You must document the, uh, that each of the three bidders that you contacted, what the bids were, and that becomes part of the file so that we know that we're continuing to spend the public's money responsibly. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, sometimes it is a pick up the phone, even under the current provisions, but it's filled out. Yeah, just write so a memo to the file. A, yeah, yes. write so, a memo to the file. The backup that has to go to the finance department. Exactly, saying yep. I contacted this person, it was this much. I contacted this person, it was this much. You can contact them verbally. Kafka allows you to do mm -hmm. that. But I just want to confirm, I want to have paperwork to support the fact that we utilized a competitive process. Absolutely. Even in an informal manner. And I think that's what uh, our finance department is asking happen now, correct? Yeah, and we do that. <laughs> yeah. You're back on week two. <laughs> yeah, we do that in public works as well. So as far as the informal contracts, oh, go figure, the battery's dead. Here, use this one. I got it. We do that for informal contracts right now. Um, I'm not too sure about the purchasing things, though, so we'll look into that. And the only the other thing that's a little bit different in here, and you may want to actually tie this back to the same percentage issue, is uh, professional services. Yeah. So professional services are treated differently under our code that you don't have to go with the lowest responsible responsive bidder because sometimes there are other qualities that you're looking for in a design professional or a, a legal professional or otherwise. Um, right now, the city manager's contract authority is 25. We're proposing it be 35, but you may want to do that same um, percentage, so it would be 30 now and would go up automatically also. We could easily make that change if you want. I uh, mean, that is a qualifications-based selection process. Not, It's not as straightforward as simply a monetary process. So I think 30 mm -hmm. is fine. And again, I just want to make sure it gets reported to the city council. So are you um, comfortable with that same percentage? Okay. And I take the percentage approach, so we're not continually revisiting it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's all we had for you on this one. Okay. So Good. the next step would be to bring this to the council, which hopefully we can do as early as February 25th for okay. a first read, if you're yes. okay with that. Great. Okay. Yes. You have to resolve with okay. the city manager, the department head authority. Okay. We will do that. The recommended department head authority. We'll work with um, the city manager and the uh, finance director make sure they're both comfortable with that. So then our next issue, I'm actually going to turn over, I think, to Kevin, if you will, on the oh. undergrounding. Because I know you worked with Thomas on this. I'm happy to do it if, if you're not prepared, so sorry to throw you, throw you, that, uh, <laughs> throw you that, uh, that curveball. So let me try and dive in. Before we jump in, can I ask sure. you one question on this? Yeah. What was the origin of the undergrounding committee? Was there such a thing? In yeah. There was. There, there was. I just don't know the history. So. There was such a thing, and it's still on the books, but it isn't populated. Okay. So, and I, d I could look up for you when they were actually created, but I'm not sure. It's been a while since they've been populated. And they used to be populated with at least one member from the Planning Commission and a member from the City Council. So, but they stopped meeting several years ago. They sort of... Just faded away. Yeah. But... Um, undergrounding is one of the priorities we've identified in our strategic yeah. plan. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, a big difference between an undergrounding district where you're taking a whole right. area and right. undergrounding all the lines versus an incremental approach, which is what our ordinance sort of is looking at um, for when it's triggered if you have an upgrade to your service yes. panel or yes. you're, you know, remodeling your home and then you have to take your service drops and underground uh, I mean, them. I just want to understand the um, so this um, kind of started with uh, 
the advent of the chargers for electric cars that people were coming in and wanting to install their um, charging stations in their carports or their garages. And uh, if it triggered a need to replace their panel, their service panel, they were triggering this underground um, exception. And that right. didn't seem Which to be- was a huge barrier for- Big barrier. It didn't yeah, seem parts. consistent with the state law yeah. kind of encouraging and allowing those types of installations. So I can keep going or- Keep you going, you're doing great. Okay. Can I ask, <laughs> can I ask you a question? Sure. Mary? So we're required, this, this new ordinance recommends um, the installation of a new service, sorry, the installation of a new service panel um, w in conjunction with the installation of a small residential rooftop solar system. That there would be an, that, exception. an exception. That's an exemption. Because we're allowed by right to install those solar panels. Yeah. Right. So but if it requires you know, a new panel. Then it becomes not an underground. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So now, it's a, now it's we're a no longer exactly right. right. So I think we're trying to incentivize people to both have chargers for their cars and, and install solar. rooftop solar. So what we're saying is, let's just make it clear, because our code isn't really clear, that if you if those are the only triggers, then you don't have to underground when that happens. Yeah, great. That's right. Similar to, as we just said to the electrical vehicle charging station, um, replacement of things that are damaged by a storm or you know, car runs into it or something, and they're not doing a larger construction project. So if your carport is demolished yeah. or some portion of your home is demolished and you want to just bring it up to code, but you're not creating a larger draw on your panel, we're saying just because you have to have a new panel doesn't mean you have to underground all your service. Yes, right? okay. yes. Um, and can you explain the, the last exception, Kevin? Yes, <laughs> let's give that one to Kevin. Installation of new service wires to an existing structure that are lashed to an existing service and present no visual change to overhead service wires. That's yeah. the one? Yes. So uh, it, kind of an interesting one. I think we brought this to council a couple weeks ago where um, the resident wanted to go ahead and obviously put in a, a new service, upgrade their, their service from 100 amp to 200 amp. And according to the code, they probably should be undergrounding that system but the new wire simply goes right on top of the existing wire. So it matches the same, goes the same alignment from pole to pole and gets lashed to the existing wire. So you can't really tell the difference. So that's the intent. The lashing actually ties the two together. So my only exception to that exception would be <laughs> the uh, family that showed up at our council meeting, at our last council meeting, where the existing system presents a danger. So the existing system is not at a height a reasonable height or a reasonable configuration. So I would add to the end of this exception, so long as existing service, you know, meets uh, acceptable safety standards or something of that this nature. Is the churn -off yes. yes. And Kevin, thank you for this evening. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Does not present a danger. Or meets minimum, yeah, minimum, minimum acceptable safety standards or something because you could have an existing system that's needs, subpar, that's subpar mm -hmm. and you don't want to exacerbate okay. that type of an issue. Sounds good. Okay. Then the last thing this would do is to take out the reference to the undergrounding committee and um, give that responsibility to either the director of public works and the community development director jointly reviewing and acting on appeals from property owners. So right now there's a, an ability to appeal a determination mm -hmm. that you yeah. have to underground. Yeah. And instead of bringing that to another committee, I think we're saying staff 
can review those and apply those same criteria and make a determination about whether or not it's accepted. And then there could be an appeal to, to, the, planning to the planning commission or yes. some other body. I think that right. should be Did enunciated we put that in also. Uh, maybe appealed to the city council so we can change I would take uh, it to the planning commission because already planning commission can be appealed to city council right. so and planning commission is in a better position to evaluate these types of issues and can I just say when you turn trees and views over to the planning commission that I think has been very effective because they're just so used to working with those exactly. types now of we're giving them restrictions <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be thrilled <laughs> So I, I think, think the community <laughs> development director will be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, I think that's it on this one, unless okay. you guys have any other questions, nope. or Kevin, if I missed something that you want to add? Or anything from you? The only thing that, um, and I apologize, I haven't been involved in this, this process yet. The only thing that came to mind is I know that Typically, people don't try to get around the regulations, but in the event that someone had a project that mm -hmm. would trigger undergrounding, mm -hmm. I can see potentially them using one of, these one of these exceptions to get their new panel put in and then go through the process that they were planning on, on doing. Um, you know, to put in an EV charger, get their panel mm -hmm. upgraded, wait a few months, and then submit their, their permit application. So that's the only thing that I was thinking of when I yeah. Are you saying somebody gets the upgrade and then decides to remodel their home? Right. Yeah. So and then they don't does it that. need to be a, the, so are you suggesting there's an accept, a, exception or a trigger that if you come in for a, a remodel that would? 12 month window. Or At least like a 12 that. month window. Okay. I think that's I don't want to overly smart. complicate it. Yeah. But no, but people will I think you're smart. That. And I'm just curious, Kevin, what, do you know, is there a figure for the cost of undergrounding? Or we could say, if Not you necessarily. remodel on where your it is. home, uh, within 36 months of utilizing one of these exceptions, you must underground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you so do instead, that would have triggered undergrounding. Yes. If you do any remodel within 36 months of the approval of this exception that would have otherwise triggered, triggered. then you have to then the then you have to go ahead and underground. The, the three years, I think, is a, actually a good time frame. It ties to what we have in the zoning ordinance exactly. regarding the thresholds for different levels of permit review. Okay. And you'd have to be really creative to plan three years in advance exactly. to get around an exception. Yeah, and if right? you do... You might do 12 months in advance, but three years... If you do, more power to you, but... <laughs> yeah. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> okay, 12-month window. <laughs> 36. 36 if a remodel is pursued after that exception. Yes, that was a yeah. trigger. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. One of the things that um, was brought up by our acting uh, building official was that other jurisdictions do this a little differently, and it wouldn't, I'm just bringing it up, that some places actually, I'm still not on? Some places actually, um, instead of actually undergrounding the physical wire themselves they put in they request that the property owner put in a conduit to the street so that when the actual street gets undergrounded they are set ready to go i didn't think that that was appropriate for sausalito because we're really trying to make headway to get these aerial lines off the area itself but i thought it'd be worthwhile since since thomas brought it up to us thomas aarons 
and just mention that other jurisdictions are a little more lenient at, at this point. So just mentioning it that other places have a different way of doing things. Okay. Okay. So then we're uh, moving on to housing stuff. You're welcome to stay. <laughs> I love you guys. But I'm <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Um, and uh, I asked Lily to come, kind of give an update on where we are with the SB2 Groups. grants and what the county, what we're doing through the county on the um, definitions becoming, or standards becoming more objective and less subjective. And as part of that discussion, I think we should talk about whether we need to do something more or, or currently, but I wanted her to let you know where the county is and where we're going with that. I, and I know the mayor mentioned during our strategic planning workshop that she's interested in resurrecting the Blue Ribbon Committee recommendations mm -hmm. and identifying which of those can the legislative committee can move forward with. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something the Agenda Review Committee will be uh, doing or will have on its agenda in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and maybe you can assist with that, Lily, to identify what we should prioritize based on what we're doing with the county mm -hmm. and get some of these regulations in place this year. Great. So before I left on maternity leave, I submitted, um, I, I got the application to a place where we could submit it to the state. It was submitted to the state in my absence. They came back with uh, several comments that were basically waiting for me when I got back here to address. So I addressed those last week, submitted it back to the state, and everything I think at this point looks good. There was just a signature that she needed, so I'm anticipating that they will approve our application shortly. So just a reminder, that was for the collaboration with the county on the objective design standards, working with the county on the an a, a countywide ADU ordinance for all Marin County residents to go to get ADU information. A, a website. Not a an website, ordinance. sorry, not an ordinance, a website, yes. Um, and then sort also, of like San Mateo County has a really good one. Do they? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see videos of different ADUs and get plans. There are already template plans. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So the so that's part of it. And then the third item, working with the county, is the inclusionary fee. So uh, we adopted our inclusionary housing ordinance at the beginning of last year, and so this is to establish the in lieu fee associated with that ordinance. In, in addition, we applied for, since we had some extra money in grant funding, so we applied for um, up to 10% of the funding to work on our housing element update that's upcoming because mm -hmm. I could put in up to 10% without doing a nexus study. Um, a workforce housing ordinance as well, and that was a part of the Blue Ribbon Committee's uh, recommendations. And then also additional public outreach for the objective design standards as well. So that would be for a community workshop and um, a study session and then some other public hearings to get us through that adoption process. So I got an update from the county uh, this week on where they are with the design standards. The consultant has been hired. They have done all the existing conditions research and they're going to pre be presenting that at a planning director's meeting that we're having this week on Thursday. Then their next step after that is to start designing the building types catalog, and then after that they would move to the admin draft objective design standards. They are having some upcoming, what they're calling road shows, to go out into the county to explain the whole process and how all jurisdictions are working together on these objective design standards, what they are and what the process will be. So the nearest one to Sausalito will be on March 19th in Corte Madera. 
and um, it's from seven to nine. I'm going to get that out in the currents so that okay. our community knows about it. They've also sent us um, a template messaging and frequently asked questions um, document here. So I'll be utilizing that with the currents as well. And then they've let us know that they're hoping to have the toolkit done in late summer and early fall. And I'm st I'll be working with the consultant to figure out when is the best time for us to start our public process. Um, if that's right after the tool gets done or like beginning, I'm not sure yet, but that would be starting with a community workshop specific to Sausalito and then um, study session with the planning commission and then public hearings. Great. Um, you run it. The, well, <laughs> and to, you can you explain to me in that, that March 19th <coughs> meeting in Puerto Madera? Yeah, so that is, they have four different, what they're calling road shows, and so that's the county planners, with the consultant going out to Marin County residents to say, hey, what are these objective design standards? What are we trying to achieve here? Okay. So it's, it's just introducing the project, essentially. Okay. Yeah. If there are written <coughs> materials disseminated mm -hmm. in connection with that, mm -hmm. I request we obtain those materials and distribute them to our council. Okay. And I request that we compare those materials to the Blue Ribbon Committee recommendations to see where they may differ. Yeah, Opticos, um, and then, yeah, the planning firm, and then it's Plan in Place, I think, also is what, I think that's what it does. Do you, do you know if they're, think they think they're going to have plug and play conditions, or are they? They're hoping to, that's what the toolkit yeah. is, is supposed that's, to be. That's why I really yeah. want to see what they're right. coming yeah. up with. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's enough, you know, so Belvedere and mm -hmm. Cibron have similar issues. So, so there are other communities, obviously, in Marin County that have ours. So we're not kind of a one-off over here. Hopefully, we'll be forgotten right. <laughs> with regards to views and more of those difficult yeah, yeah. issues. Um, I have been contacted by a different a planning professional who um, is working with, I think, Fairfax, actually, in doing additional public outreach and designing some additional objective design standards that are not going to be a part of this effort. So I'm going to meet with them on Thursday after the planning director's meeting and see if how they would be able to assist Sausalito in a, in a way that cool. um, the county is not going to be able to. And yeah, see if there's a gap what, there. What incremental stuff they're doing. It just be interesting to see what's unique about Fairfax. Yeah. yeah. So many things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and we share some issues with Fairfax yeah. too, so that's yeah. good. Um, moving on to the ADU website. So they have hired the consultant for the website. They are working on a survey for homeowners who are interested in being interviewed about their ADUs uh, to be featured on the website. So that's the update, basically. And they've, they've let me know if we know of any folks in Sausalito who have an ADU recently built that's amazing and wants to be on the website, we should put them in contact with the county. The other thing <coughs> that the website might consider including is something that we're putting together now, which is a table to understand the new ADU and JADU regulations. So there were like mm -hmm. nearly a dozen bills passed last year mm -hmm. that update those regulations. And I know we're putting together an analysis mm -hmm. of that, something like that for owners mm -hmm. 
of property would be helpful, I think, on the website. Mm -hmm. And then the inclusionary housing uh, fee study, they uh, are working on the RFP right now to go out in April or May, so they're hoping to get that started in summer. So they okay. were trying to phase the projects and start it with the objective design standards. So that's to develop <coughs> a fee structure yep. for an in-lieu fee? Yeah. And then we'd bring that to the council adoption. for adoption? Yeah. Okay. Probably in the fall. -ish. I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, we, as you know, are working on our own ADU regulations. I know it's a frustration that it hasn't done yet, and I apologize for that. I anticipate having a draft uh, at the end of this week, latest beginning of next week. I believe, Councilmember Riley, you're going to be out of town for a couple of weeks. What I'm asking is, if, do you guys want to have another meeting to go over that? If uh, we want to push that forward to the council and you're not available, do you want me to work with Councilmember Cox to get that moving, or do you want to wait and come back to this group? I am out next week. Okay. That's it. So I'm here to bounce this week, and I'm gone next week. But if we have an opportunity to bring this to the council on February 25, yeah. we'd have to finish it next week. Uh, I am fine in absence, and I can even look electronically. Okay. Yes. I, I think it's important because some of these regulations went into effect the beginning of January. I think it's really important we get to this to the council okay. as soon as possible. Yeah. So I'd like to try to stick with the February 25 goal. Great. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay. All right, I think that's all we have for you on the current agenda. Thank you for getting through a lot of that so quickly. Um, and then I don't know if there are future agenda items that you want. I will work, uh, we do have a, a um, agenda meeting on Thursday, so I can bring those blue ribbon recommendations uh, forward with the mayor and vice mayor and talk to them about what's going to come back to, to this group uh, and give them the update Lily just gave us on where we are with the county issues. Um, marijuana was another one that we talked about last time. Uh, Lily's meeting with Element 7, or with the CrossFit people. <laughs> the CrossFit people, and as you remember, they all want a storefront um, component now. So she's going to follow they up. All, that group wants a storefront. Every component. group that has talked to us changed their proposals and said it doesn't pencil without a storefront component. Even the people who wanted just a, a non-storefront delivery service in the Marinship. So as a part of that analysis, we should include what the potential revenue to the city is. Because other cities are finding that the projected revenues are far greater than the actual revenues. So we, sh and Calvin was tracking that somewhat for us. So we should be able to present to the council, you know, uh, a non-storefront, you know, might generate this much. Mm -hmm. A storefront might generate that much. Because one of the reasons we were considering it is to collect the revenue. And I know there's some concern about having a storefront, mm -hmm. so we need to be able to weigh the cost and benefit. Okay. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is there is no non-storefront proposal anymore. Correct. Right. So, so then we have to decide nothing or storefront. storefront. And I know there's a concern with 1,000 kids a day attending school in Sausalito about a storefront. And we had letters from Superintendent uh, Mary Jane Burke and others expressing their concerns. Okay. 
So something we have to really seriously consider. Also on that, I think when we look at a storefront, it's understanding the income to the city relative to other businesses that are storefronts, mm-hmm. right? It's you know, but also the impacts. Yeah. So you know, Urbana in San Francisco has constant traffic issues with parking. Um, so we have to consider what the impacts to the city would be. So the cost-benefit analysis has to include potential revenue as well as impacts depending on where they're cited. Yeah, and as a future agenda item kind of discussion, we can talk to the um, agenda setting committee about that as well. As I shared with you last time, I don't think this is a development agreement type proposal. I think it's re- really a zoning analysis about where they should, where if anywhere they would go in your jurisdiction, in your commercial areas. So I think it's a, it's a broader zoning um, analysis. Um, stepping back, I apologize. The uh, ADU regulations are zoning code regulations, so they need to go to the Planning Commission. So we'll have to get that to them. We can give the council an update and, and on the 25th of the what the changes are and that they're going to the Planning Commission with a schedule. Great. Would they go the next day? Uh, whenever the next Planning Commission meeting would Usually be. Usually the day after. We don't have enough time to get them on the 19th, um, but it would be the, probably the following week, March 4th. Okay, that's all we had for you guys. You were very efficient. Thank you. Welcome back, Lily. Lily, we're so happy to have you back. So we stand adjourned? Okay.